Hello everyone, Dave Therrien here, and today we're going to wrap up our two-part series on hell. We asked the question last time, is hell real? I think we answered it. Today we're going to see, sadly, those who go there. Who is it that actually has to spend eternity in a place of torments? A place of torments that wasn't created for man, but created for the devil and his angels. But today we're going to see why they go there. Who it is that goes there and why. So prayerfully, listen to this message carefully. And I hope and pray it's an inspiration to share the good news of Christ with all those that you love. As we saw last time, there are some biblical terms for the afterlife that we need to know. We talked about the grave. Everybody goes into the grave at death. And then the underworld was called Hades. In the Old Testament, believers went to paradise. Non-believers went to torments. When Jesus died, when the Bible says he descended into hell, it wasn't hell, but it was the underworld. He went to Hades. And he brought all the Old Testament believers to heaven. Then he went to Tartarus. Tartarus is a place of darkness where the angels that sinned in Genesis chapter 6 are being held. And he went to Tartarus and he told them they had been defeated. Satan's plan was defeated. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. So the only two places that are concerned for us are torments, where the non-believer still goes today, and then the ultimate condemnation, Gehenna, the eternal lake of fire. After the great white throne judgment, those in torments will go to Gehenna, and we will see the outcome in today's message. That's why it's important that we understand who are those who go to hell. And you might be surprised as some of those that go there. And no one can understand eternity like Jesus Christ. Because he's from eternity. And he created hell. And we know the Bible is very clear. He created hell for the devil and his angels. And Jesus, though he created this eternal lake of fire, he still made a way that humans don't have to go. And we ended with that scene last time where Paul and Silas were in a Roman dungeon and an earthquake came and all the doors opened, but they didn't escape. And the jailer that was watching them, he was amazed and his heart was moved. And he said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And if everybody in your family does it, they'll be saved too. So it's very easy not to go to hell. It's easy not to go. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Well, today we're going to take a look at those who do go there. The first inhabitants of the lake of fire are found in Revelation 19 and verse 20. They are, they are going to be the two most popular people during the Great Tribulation. These two guys, 
They're going to be like the celebrities of the world. And notice what it says. The beast was seized. And with him, the false prophet, who performed signs in his presence, by which he noticed, deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Remember brimstone? Sulfur. Sulfur is a suffocating gas, like the smell of a, a book of matches multiplied by a trillion trillion. It's a suffocating experience. So the first ones in the lake of fire are the beast and the false prophet from the Great Tribulation. The next one to go in is actually the devil himself in Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them. See, here's the key. The whole plan of Satan is deception. It's deception. People don't know what they're doing. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you know the word tormented? It means to be tortured. They will be tortured every moment of every second, of every minute, of every day and every night in the eternal lake of fire. That's the satanic trinity, the devil's counterfeit trinity. Now, you know what? It could have stopped right there. God could have closed the gates. Boom. No one else is getting in. But they stayed open. And the gates of hell remain open today. But they could have been closed. Because like we said, the eternal fire had been prepared for the devil and all of his angels. But the gates remain open. And this is why. John chapter 3 is very clear on explaining those who will and those who will not end up in the eternal lake of fire. You're familiar with the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in verse 3 of John chapter 3, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? To have a spiritual renewal that puts one in relationship with God himself. Here's the problem. We are all born alienated from God because we have a sin nature. We're born condemned. You might not like this. We are born on our way to hell. That's our life. That's why we must be born again spiritually. And what it does, it cuts off our path to hell. And it puts us on a path to heaven. People don't go to hell because they sin. They go to hell because they're born. Wow. We're all born condemned. That's why Jesus came. I made a way for you to be saved. I shed my blood. I died on the cross. Believe it. Believe it. And you'll be saved. He made a way. We have the invitation in verse 16. God so loved the world 
He loves us. That he gave his only begotten son, that uh, whoever believes in him, that's it. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the result of believing. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because you not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if you don't believe, like I said, you stand in condemnation. We're born condemned. You have to understand this. We are born condemned. First birth, I'm condemned. Second birth, I'm saved. He that believes is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already. Remains in their condemnation. That's why the gospel is so important. So faith in Jesus Christ as Savior removes the believer from the roll call of hell. Everybody's name is on the roll call of hell. And when you become born of God, your name is erased. It's transferred to another book, to another roll call. Oh, I like that one, the Lamb's Book of Life. It goes from the roll call of hell to the roll call of the redeemed. It's transferred just by that belief. Jesus came into the world to give people a choice. The world was in darkness and he brought the light. So he's like, okay, you, everybody has a choice. What is our life but a sum total of our choices, right? We are where we are today because of choices. We are who we are today because of choices. We experience the things we do because of choices. Life is choices. And eternity is about choices. Jesus came to give us a choice. You can choose me and you can walk in the light. You can reject me and you can stay in the darkness. But it's all about a choice. So in verse 19, Jesus said, This is the judgment that light came into the world. Uh-oh. And men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Ain't that a kicker? People love the darkness. You know why? They like doing bad things. They do. They'd rather do bad things and stay in the darkness. And it kind of gives them a rush. But it's all about the flesh. Yes, the flesh is feeding on evil deeds. The flesh, the flesh is our enemy. Paul said we need to crucify the flesh. So let's put some light on what it means to believe by first understanding unbelief. What is unbelief? Well, verse 20, John 3. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's unbelief. Unbelief is, no, I don't want to go in the light. I want to stay in the darkness so I can do what I do and not get caught. I don't want to be exposed for what I am. So I'm going to stay in the darkness. Unbelief is remaining in the darkness. Then what's belief? Verse 21, he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Isn't that something? The ones in darkness don't want their deeds to be revealed, but the ones in the light want their deeds to be revealed. Isn't that something? They want their deeds to be revealed because their deeds are godly. The ones in the dark, in the dark they don't want their deeds to be revealed because their deeds are ungodly. And what's going on here? God is making it clear that mental assent is not salvation. 
Mental assent is not salvation. When Jesus told Nicodemus the work of the Spirit was like the wind, he said, you know, Nicodemus, we don't know where it comes from, we don't know where it goes, but you can see the effects of it. You can see the wheat bending over in the wind. You can feel it. The wind is effectual. You can see the effects of the wind blowing. He says, you know, the Spirit is like that. A regenerated heart, a truly regenerated heart has been affected. It's been affected by the Holy Spirit. And you know what that effect is? You have a deep appreciation for the one, the Savior, who died for you. That's probably the greatest way to tell. You have a deep appreciation when the Spirit's in you of the Savior who died for you. Let me give you an illustration. As an appreciator of fine music, oh, he loved to go to the symphony and listen to music. So he brought his friend because he wanted to share that joyful experience. So he brought his friend, they went down the symphony hall and they're listening to the symphony. And his friend, he's like moving and fidgeting and bored with the whole thing. Didn't like it at all. And you know what happened? That friend judged himself. How did he judge himself? He demonstrated that there's no music in his soul, that he has no appreciation for the very thing that was given to him to give him joy. And he had no appreciation for it. He was his own judge, so to speak. The experience that was supposed to bring him joy and happiness became a judgment where he got no joy or happiness at all. Now think of why Jesus came. Jesus came to give us a joyful life, a superabounding life, he said. You will find life and live it abundantly. And yet there are those that find no joy in that. That which God intended to be joyful, the giving of his son for the sins of the world, many people find it to be boring. They find it to be a hindrance. They'd rather be somewhere else. They'd rather do something else. Just like the person with no music in his soul. Now one more passage I want you to turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And remember this. A person's appreciation for a thing is determined by their response to it. Will it bring them joy? Or will it bring them judgment? A person's appreciation for a thing is determined by their response to it. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, we're going to look at some of the responses found in people that have no love for Jesus Christ. Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous are those that have not believed, and therefore they never received the righteousness of Christ, so they remain unrighteous. What does it take to live in heaven? Righteousness. Righteousness must be found in a person, which is given by Christ. And if you don't receive that righteousness from Christ, you ain't getting in. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now the unrighteous are defined by the works that follow them. 
See, the evidence of being righteous or unrighteous is the life that you live. He said, oh, here it comes. Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. I'll tell you what, one thing about this place, you won't be led astray. I'm telling you that. You will not be deceived. You will not hear something to tickle you so everybody likes me. And then you end up condemned and lost. Or maybe no rewards. That's not our plan. Our plan is that all of you here, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. That's the goal of our church. So Paul said, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. The word is pornos. Where we get the word pornography. Neither uh, fornicators. That's people involved in unlawful sexual activity. Unlawful. Doesn't mean the government laws. Means God's law. Nor idolaters. Those that participate in heathen worship. That's like most of the world, isn't it? Nor adulterers. Those that defile the marriage contract. Whether you're married or unmarried, I don't think it matters. Nor effeminate. Those are abusers of themselves with men. Nor homosexuals. Those involved in unnatural sex. Verse 10. Thieves. These are embezzlers. People who steal. Covetous. Greedy of gain. You know, that's a mental attitude sin. They just covet. Drunkards. They give up themselves to intoxication. That's their friend. That's their kumba. Their buddy. Revilers. These are railers. Uh, tail bearers. Abusive speech. Swindlers. They're extortioners. They plunder the substance of someone else. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ain't getting in. Can you see why Jesus said the road is wide and broad that leads to destruction and many go that way? Because <laughs> most people do those things. They do. Someone says, but wait a minute. I prayed the prayer. I came down the front and I prayed the prayer. I was crying. And the pastor prayed for me. I said, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. Someone else says, no, I was baptized. Oh, yeah, I was baptized. I went down the river. Someone says, I claim, I said, Jesus is my Savior. Oh, yeah, I said it. He's my Savior. Let me say this again. A person's appreciation for a particular thing is measured by their response to it. See these works of the flesh that Paul mentioned? Those are responses to what someone thinks about Christ. And obviously, those works of the flesh, that means their response is not that good. They're not very appreciative of what Christ did for them. By the way, Paul's talking to the church. This is not an evangelistic outreach in the middle of town in Corinth. He's talking to the church. 
He's talking to an assembly of people that all claim to be born again. They say it with their lips. They have mental assent. But he's saying, well, you know what, though? If this is your lifestyle, you're in trouble. He's not talking about falling into a sin like this impulsively. He's talking about a lifestyle. A.T. Robertson is a Greek word scholar, and he said, this is a solemn call of the damned, even if some of their names are on the church roll in Corinth, whether church officers or church members. So being in church has never saved anyone. Never saved anyone. It gives the opportunity, but it doesn't save. How clean does, one, does God want his church to be? He said in 1 Corinthians 5, not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler. This is, this is all the things he just mentioned, right? Revile a drunkard, a swindler. Not even go to lunch with them. Not even eat with them. Oh, how often do we abide in something like that? I don't know. And by the way, he's talking about church people. He's not talking about the lost. We go to lunch with the lost to win them. But these are people that go to church every day. Maybe some in here, I don't know. So why is this so? Why is it so important to examine how we live before God? Because a person's appreciation for a particular thing is measured by their response to it. How does my life respond to the fact that Jesus died for my sins? How does my life respond? Has the Holy Spirit affected change in my heart? Again, we're talking about lifestyle. Christ is the life, is he, he's in the life-changing business. So I have to ask myself, is my life being changed? Even if it, just a little by little, oh, little bits and pieces as I go along my, 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 my trajectory toward the end of my life. It doesn't change overnight. But if you can look back and say, yes, there have been some great changes in my life, I'm becoming more Christ-like, beautiful. But if you look back and say, no, I'm still the same old jerk I was. I'm in a bad place. Mental ascent does not save anyone. And the evidence of salvation is lifestyle. Not perfect, but change. That's why he said, don't be deceived. How many people are deceived today? Because, yeah, they go to church, they throw 10 bucks in the offering, and they go out and live like the devil. And they were baptized, and Jesus is my Savior. Oh, yeah, I know all that. They're deceived. That's deception. So God closes his message to mankind in Revelation 20 with a final warning. And he said in verse 11, and whenever, whenever I read these passages, man, I like, they're very sobering. It's interesting. I can read through the whole Bible, and it's like, oh, that's good. That's nice. And then I get to Revelation, and it's like, ugh. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, boy, this really wakes you up. I'll tell you what, 
Revelation is a waker upper. And in chapter 20, verse 11, John's, he's got this vision from Jesus of the final judgment. And he said, Then I saw a great white throne, probably bigger than this room. And him who sat upon it, that was Jesus, from whose presence, what? Earth and heaven fled away. And there was no place for them. So all there is is this white throne suspended in nothing. There's nothing else there. And I saw the dead. Everybody, most of those in torments. I saw the dead, the great and the small. Oh, the kings and the CEOs and the presidents and the dictators. And the cab drivers and the dishwashers and people that do little menial things. And nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just saying, in the world's eyes, the great and the small. They were standing before the throne, suspended, all before that great white throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you got a pile of books over here, and you got one book over here. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in all the books and everything according to their deeds. Hmm. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that one book, anyone's name, forget the book of deeds, doesn't matter anymore. If your name was not found in the Lamb's book of life, what does it say? <gasps> he was thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, what a tragic ending. What a tragic ending, and like we said, it didn't have to happen. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came because the Father sent him to shed his blood for the sins of the world, that those who believe would never perish. But you know what they would have? Everlasting life. Let me ask you. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Oh, get it in. No, don't just give mental assent to who Jesus is, but believe with all your heart. Trust in Him. Rely on Him. Get the Spirit of God inside of you, and therefore your life will line up with the righteousness of Christ, because that's what it takes to get into heaven, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming along today. I want to remind you, we're still collecting for Ukraine. Samaritan's Press is doing a wonderful work out there, medically and spiritually. We have brothers and sisters suffering in Ukraine. Let's help them out. Get your church to take an, up, take up an offering. Send it out to Franklin Graham Samaritan Press or whatever Christian organization is helping. Or give through us, newhopecc.tv. Click giving, then e-giving. Choose your fund, Ukraine, fill in the amount, send it off. We'll make sure they get every cent. Thank you for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.